Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad that you have come to the show today because we're going to continue the theme of forgiveness. If you've been listening to Susie Larson Live, you know that that was the amazing topic, the amazing guest, and we're going to continue talking about forgiveness today with my guest, Bev Canaris, who's here right with me in studio. She was a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and host of the podcast, She Is Becoming. Regular guest on the show, always glad to have her here. Bev, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here. All right. Now, there's this old uh, saying that says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. <laughs> I, I do like that because it's so true. It but so we, true. we often um, think that by not forgiving, we're punishing them and and we're, we're making it better by by holding on to our unforgiveness. So that that really says it well, doesn't it, in it, one it line? Does, yeah. It is old saying. I, I had to look it up to get it perfect, but I think that's a good one. You know, I just think it's really important that we have a checkup where we are at in our forgiveness. Maybe we need to revisit this today. Maybe we have a new challenge, a new situation in our life that calls for us for a greater understanding again of what forgiveness is all about. So think back to a time where... You were challenged to forgive someone. Do you find that you need to do some maintenance? That's what we're here to do today. Some maintenance maybe on that forgiveness. Um, Maybe those old feelings have started to creep in and we need um, to be reminded of how to forgive again. Or perhaps you're in the middle of a new relational hurt that is so painful and you're wondering, is this ever going to go away? Will it ever get better? Will I always feel this way? What do I do next? I don't want to do what I know I need to do next. Um, or you might be waiting for the person to come to you and apologize and admit that they were wrong before you're willing to forgive them. So these are the complexities that happen during forgiveness. It, it, it's something we always need to kind of have in the forefront of our mind how we're going to handle this. I wonder, are you questioning how to forgive? Why forgive? And does forgiveness let the other person off the hook? And another question is, do we need to go back into a relationship with the one or ones who hurt us? Okay, Bev, you're asking a lot of good questions right now. They are, and they're real. Um, I have had to forgive some really hard things in my life, and God has been faithful to walk me through that process, but it was not easy. Mm -hmm. So these are things I've really learned, and I've also learned these principles from what I read in the Bible. Yeah. Do you and, feel like connecting the dots to something that you had to forgive that was really hard? Or, I, or do, I do we want to park that for some other time? Um, I have shared past talks about my personal testimony of um, sexual abuse that I had to forgive my offender there. Mm-hmm. Also had to, some forgiveness to do in family issues that were so hurtful. Um, so I've had to forgive and I'm, I'm in the process now of forgiving uh, again. So, uh, it's something that we always need to have uh, on the front burner of our life skills yeah, so true. because we live in a very sinful, messy world. 
And if I'm not causing someone else to sin or hurting someone else, someone is hurting me, All seems like all the time. So... We've got a lot of great questions we want to answer. So today we're going to look on these uh, issues of forgiveness. We're going to talk about what it means to receive forgiveness, how to forgive, the fight to maintain forgiveness. And Bill, it is a fight. Yeah. It's a fight. You would think if you did it, it's over, but that's not the case, is it? No. And this is why Jesus said this repetition of repeating is so Mm important. Forgiveness is important. And then we're just going to do a little evaluation at the end to take an honest look at, you know, where we are in our forgiveness journey today. So I want to begin with the really a core passage, Matthew 6, to put this verse into context. Now, Jesus has just finished teaching the Lord's Prayer. Most of us are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, part of that was, and forgive us our debts, you know, which is our sins, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. But after Jesus finishes the prayer, he reiterates one point, and that's this one on forgiveness. And he says to to emphasize again, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. Mm, that's kind of a big warning. Beverly Canaris is my guest, and if you just joined the program, you probably came at the perfect time because likely you have someone in your heart, on your mind, that you need to forgive, and that is not an easy thing to do. So we're talking about uh, the different components of forgiveness, and right now the whole idea of receiving forgiveness and what Jesus is teaching to us in Matthew 6 uh, about forgiving others uh, is so significant. All right, Bev. It is. It's so significant. But this often alarms people when they read this, that if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. Now, that's that's almost shocking to me as I read that. You know, is this saying, if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us? Is that what it's really saying? Now, listen carefully. Yes, but listen closely. We cannot get God's forgiveness by forgiving others. In other words, We can't have that become our forgiveness, a means of God accepting and forgiving us. Always salvation is not by works, but by faith and through the grace of God and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved or forgiven by God's grace and his blood that paid the penalty for our sin. We can't earn it by any good works, including forgiveness for others. So that isn't quite what it's saying. So I hope this helps. As God gives us faith that originates with him, he gives us the faith, then we're able to believe in Christ. So goes forgiveness. If we have genuinely received forgiveness from God, then that forgiveness in us will be evident as we relate to others. The source of any forgiveness in us is God himself. God in us can give us the power to forgive. As works are an evidence of faith, according to the book of James in the Bible, so forgiveness given to us by God is evidence, and then we give forgiveness, that is an evidence that God has forgiven us. So that's really what that verse means, and it can be quite alarming if you don't think that through carefully. I think the first 10 times I read that, I panicked. (laughs) I know. I think a lot of people do panic. Well, yeah, so it's important to understand what Jesus is saying in the context and what it means. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Jesus also taught a parable on this topic that's very important to us. This is found in Matthew chapter 17, and it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable is preceded, though, by Peter asking the Lord, how many times should he forgive someone who sins against him? Now, the religious leaders of the day said three times. You're, you're to forgive them three times. Then you're, you know, you don't need to beyond that. Peter, thinking generously, he says, seven times, Master? And Jesus answered Peter, saying, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, always forgive. Then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And here's where he starts his parable. He talks about a king who is going to start settling his account. He calls in this uh, person who had a great, an overwhelming debt, just a debt that really couldn't even be paid back. It was so great. So the servant comes before him, falls down before him, asks for mercy. The king takes pity on him and he forgives this man this huge debt. Well, then this servant goes out grabbed a fellow who owed him a very small amount, pocket change in comparison. His fellow servant begged for mercy, promised to pay him back, but the forgiven man of the great debt had his fellow servant, who had the little tiny debt towards him, thrown into debtor's prison. We find the king then found out about this, and he had the servant, who was ungrateful and wouldn't forgive others, imprisoned. The final statement Jesus said here is, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Here's the clencher, from your heart. Mm. From your heart. The point is, when we fully realize how much God has forgiven us, we will in turn show God's generous grace to others. Our new nature in us when we become Christians should be showing itself in a willingness then to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Um, I love this verse from the New Testament. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, forgiveness for us, when, when Christ forgave us, cost Christ his blood and his very life. And our forgiveness bill to others is going to be costly too. It's going to be costly. You're going to have to lay down your, your, your anger, your grudges, your desire for revenge. You're going to have to lay down your pride, your justification. I find this incredible. When we're in a state of unforgiveness, the justification just goes on and on mm-hmm. and on. And when that finally stops, then you're on your way to forgiveness. Yeah. So that justification, and there's a constant turmoil in your soul as well when you have not forgiven. Yeah, and you might be biting the inside of your lip a little. Just a tad. I've done that before. (laughs) Not sleeping well at night either. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it does come at a cost. It does. Jesus showed the way uh, by laying his life down. He did. Mm -hmm. He did. And we have to lay our life down as well for Mm -hmm. others. So let's move on. So that is when we receive God's forgiveness, then we are equipped. We can forgive. He will equip us to forgive. And we should have that um, desire within us if God truly lives within us. So let's uh, talk more about now giving forgiveness. Now, when the world outside the church sees forgiveness through God's people, it astounds them. Sometimes you'll hear a story of somebody who this child was hurt or killed or something, and then the parents come on and they're, they're, they're praying for the individual, and you, you go, huh? You, it doesn't make sense to the world, but let me tell you what's happening. When we, through the power of Christ in us, forgive, 
We show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ, who loved and died for sinners to be forgiven. We really put Christ on display when we forgive. We just set ourselves free from the burden of getting even and punishing them. Through Christ, we can leave our enemies in God's hands, who alone has the right to avenge. To begin the process, admit to God your weakness to forgive. Ask for his power, his forgiveness to help you. Does giving forgiveness mean a reconciled relationship? Not always. We can have forgiveness without having them back into a reconciled relationship. I mean, what do you do if someone is already dead and you have unforgiveness? So it is very possible to do that. Um, One very wise pastor started his talk on forgiveness stating five things that forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not the approval of the sin or the hurt. Number two, it's not reconciliation. That's a different topic. Number three, blindness to the sin. It's not that either. And number four, forgetting the offense. We don't forget. I wish we could forget, but you Mm -hmm. don't forget. Nope. Number five, pretending it never happened. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a little break. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're continuing on the topic of forgiveness today. And it really started off beautifully with uh, Susie Larson. If you caught her hour as well, Susie Larson Live, we're we're continue talking about forgiveness. When we come back, we're going to talk more about giving forgiveness. So important. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I am very glad you joined me today because forgiveness is on everybody's plate. Whether it happened yesterday, you need to do it today, or you're going to need to do it tomorrow. And forgiveness is not easy. And we're talking to Beverly Canaris, and she's helping us break down uh, what she calls the forgiveness check. So yes. let's talk about giving forgiveness. Yeah, so we're, we're really going to take another look at another passage on forgiveness that kind of got me on this whole journey of wanting to revisit this topic of forgiveness. And it's in Luke, and it's, um, it says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day, seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. Then the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I can certainly see why they said that. Now, when I was reading that, I thought, what does this mean? Does this mean that... I don't have to forgive them unless they repent. And does it mean that I need to go and confront them? Um, it says here, uh, your brother sins, rebuke them. So what does this mean for us? So let's look at it more closely. First, it says to rebuke the brother who sins against you. You can't pretend it didn't happen or pretend that it didn't hurt you. That's only going to grow your, your hardness of heart and your unforgiveness if you don't acknowledge it. We're to speak the truth in love keeping in mind our own weaknesses to sin. Loving honesty is necessary to keep relationships alive. If they repent, Jesus says you must forgive, even if repeated. Yet remember, this is not a command to stay in relationship. That that can only happen when there is true repentance and a change of behavior. However, we still must forgive even if we cannot have a restored relationship. 
We forgive because we've been forgiven by God. We forgive for our own welfare and our healing. I was told this story once. If you um, a burglar came in and messed up your house, would you just uh, not touch a thing until that burglar was held accountable and would come in and set things straight in your house? No, you would put things straight in your house. And that's kind of what forgiveness does. It puts your house back together. It puts mm. it straight. You don't have to wait for that individual to come to repentance in order for you to forgive. You jump into action. You'd wash stuff. You'd... Oh, my you'd, goodness. Of you'd, course. You'd do it all as fast as you could. As fast as you could. Yeah. But sometimes we get stuck. Yeah, we get we, stuck. we leave things a mess, right? Yeah, we do. We yeah. do. But we need to start this process of forgiveness. And then there's going to be a fight to maintain forgiveness. The anger, the sense of injustice, the deep hurts will most of the time resurface even if you have decided to forgive. Here is where we need this command for repeated forgiveness. Maybe a new hurt springs up or a memory or you have those same old feelings or this person just by default is constantly in your life, constantly, you know, um, kind of pushing your buttons, you might say. Um, so let's look at, at this, this situation. Here's how I handle it. I'm not saying this is the only way to handle it, but I remind myself that I have been forgiven and I affirm that again now. I myself am a sinner and need forgiveness daily. I remind myself of letting God handle it from here. I can't change the person or even the circumstances. I have to review my expectations of the person and be realistic. Or you'll have disappointments that never end. I have to let go and move on and not letting what this person does ruin my day or lead me into sin. Praying for our enemy for their good and blessing will help me maintain that forgiveness as well. Even though it might just be stiff praying that you're praying for the good of this person, but that honestly is a way to have your heart change towards forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If you are in need of forgiveness, I'm so glad you tuned in today because Beverly Canaris is my guest. She's encouraging us, giving us some great wisdom and walking us through how important it is not only to forgive, but do it with a, a true heart and to maintain forgiveness. And I think she's going to talk now about there's a certain joy that comes from forgiveness. That only forgiveness can yeah. really give you. It really, it's a, it's a freedom and a, and a joy. Um, first, the forgiveness we receive, we receive through God's grace and faith he gives us to believe in Christ. Christ took our deserved punishment on the cross, securing for us forgiveness forgiveness of past and present and future sins. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us who assures us of that forgiveness. In fact, 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and joy, uh, glorious joy. Yeah, Bev, I want to hit pause just for a second because that last statement is so important that I think it needs repeating. That he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us who assures us of that forgiveness. There's too many people that walk around, they've been forgiven, and they still think, mm, I don't know if I'm really forgiven. Oh, that is so true. Yeah. And that's why we started off with, you have to know how to receive forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that is if through grace, a gift from God. And he is waiting and eager to give it to each and every person that hears this. Every person. Mm -hmm. They must come to Christ and they will have that. You know, as believers, we can sin and we can pray with David who said, who fell into, into sin, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant to me a willing spirit to sustain me. There's joy in receiving God's grace and there's joy in our forgiveness of others. 
when we have truly forgiven from the heart, we will have what I call, if we haven't forgiven, I should say, we're going to have background noise in our life. You know, just like those white machines, noise machines, the unresolved conflict and unforgiveness will creep into every area of our life. How we sleep, eat, peace of mind, how we relate to others. Maybe you think you have forgiven, but with this continued noise affecting you underneath, you will not have joy. So, Bev, what you're saying is if you are not forgiving from your heart, you're going to have that white noise in the background. You are. That's going to kind of irritate you and it's going to keep creep you from everywhere sleeping into your life. and eating and peace yep. of mind. And yep. even you can't even take a pleasant walk without feeling bugged. No, forgiveness sets us free from yeah. that noise, that disruption. Forgiveness heals and restores where sin has broken you. It may take time, even a lot of time for the healing and that joy that forgiveness brings, but it comes. So where are you at in this process? Have you forgiven from the heart? If we still want to see harm come to our enemies, have we really forgiven? If we still relive the hurt constantly, have we really been healed by the process of forgiveness? Forgiveness can take time. It is a process, but it's also a decision of obedience. If we hang on to our forgiveness, we harm ourselves. We rob ourselves of peace. We rob ourselves of the ability to move on. We want to move on. Don't mm. get stuck. Yeah, we do want to move on. And when you stay stuck, like you said, Bev, I, I'm going to think about this white noise, this background noise that invades areas of your life, sleeping, eating, peace of mind, just when you do your everyday activities, that that is going to be in the background and it's going to be constant. It is going to be constant it, and it's going to rob you. Yeah. It, you you got to get free from that. I know it's a hard process and it, you may not even have heartfelt feelings of forgiveness right now, but out of obedience began the process. Mm-hmm. What if you feel like you're forgiving somebody, but you're doing it begrudgingly? Is it better to do it begrudgingly than not at all? It may start out begrudgingly, mm-hmm. but ask God to change your heart. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't want to forgive some people. I really didn't. And um, I, God had to change my heart in that. I said, I want to forgive. I know this is the right thing to do. And it's an obedience to you. You've done it for me. I, I owe that to you, God. If mm-hmm. This is between me and God. Not so much me and the person who hurt me. Yeah. It's more important that I respond to God's command to forgive. It's an action, not a feeling, right? Truly. I mean, if you sit around and wait for the feeling to forgive somebody, good luck with that. Good that, luck with that. That may never come. Your heart, yeah, no, your heart will catch up to your obedience. Yeah, but the act of forgiveness, then I believe that most of the time the feelings come in behind that. Exactly. Because you took the action of first of seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness and doing it from the heart. And then all of a sudden, the white noise is gone. Yeah, when it's when it's real, it's gone. You'll yeah. feel the power of it gone from you. I know the difference. Yeah, that's such encouraging words. Bev, thank you so much for doing the show. It's Thanks been a delight having, me, having you here. It's a very important topic on forgiveness. If you just uh, got in your car and you missed this, please check out the web uh, the website and hear the podcast right from the beginning. Beverly Canaris has been my guest. She also has a podcast called She Is Becoming. You can find that on any uh, platform that you get podcasts. When we take a break, we'll be right back. Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be nice to have to come and talk to us about discernment. That was a topic that came up on Guy Talk last week, and he, in his normal fashion, goes into his office and does a deep dive. Now he's going to come out with his results. We'll be right back with Greg in just a minute.
Good Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Well, I think it was last week on Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, we had the topic of discernment come up. How do you how do you understand it? How do you get it? How do I get more of it? How do I know when it's in front of me? And <laughs> we went around and round, and, and uh, Greg Borgon said, uh, I think I'm going to do a deeper dive on this. And sure enough, he did. And just like him in typical fashion, he already uh, got a very well-organized uh, talk to give, and we're going <laughs> to do that right now on developing discernment. Uh, Greg is the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministry. You can learn more about him at heartofawarrior.org. He's also a regular guest of Course and Guy Talk. Greg, welcome. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talk, um, talking about de- developing discernment. I'm interested. Yeah. You know, that's not a word that you normally hear a lot in people's conversation today. I remember years ago, uh, probably in the uh, early 90s, I was an uh, executive pastor of a church in Southern California, and John MacArthur, who, as many of our uh, you folks may know him by his show, uh, but also is the uh, Chancellor Emeritus of Master's College and Seminary and, and, uh, and a pastor of his church for since 1969. In any case, he came to the church, and there was an urgent call for him, and so the senior pastor asked me to escort him to my office to um, uh, take the call. And, of course, I was going to seize the moment, and I'm always the fool that can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. And so on the way over there, I just asked him this simple question. I said, Dr. MacArthur, what do you think is going to be the major problem that the Christian church is going to face now and for the next decade? He didn't even hesitate. He said, lack of discernment. Wow. And he says, it's a disease that's permeating the Christian body. And, you know, reflecting on that, based on the conversations we've had on Guy Talk and how this stirred up in me, I remember that conversation and I thought, wow, that was, that was prophetic. So, you know, in the past broadcast, we had talked about um, a variation of lack of discernment, which I called um, arrogant ignorance. And, and what I mean by that, just very quickly, is some people are ignorant uh, through no fault of their own. They're simply unaware or they lack the knowledge of a given topic or subject. Some people are ignorant due to laziness or apathy. I see a lot of that today. Still others are ignorant on purpose. Mm -hmm. These people are intentionally ignorant about the truth and are arrogant about their ignorance. They choose to ignore the truth because it doesn't fit their preconceived notions or adopted ideology or their personal worldview. So they're not discerning or purposely lack discernment. Their heads are in the sand and they refuse to be informed about the truth. But the Bible tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So I think we're seeing a lot of that, Bill. Mm-hmm. Greg, how would you say that they're, when you say they're arrogant about their ignorance, can you say that again in a different sentence? Well, they know that there is more information out there, but they uh, purposely disregard it to support a position gotcha. that they have. Okay. So they don't want to be corrected by the truth because yeah. somehow it counteracts what the message they want to send yeah. or the agenda they're embracing. Yeah, they don't even want good information coming no, in, do they? No, as a matter of fact, anybody who brings a different uh, opinion about a particular issue, let's say it's based on facts, 
the natural go-to um, procedure is to vilify them mm-hmm. and to attack them personally so that no one will listen to what they have to say because they have a message to give. Yeah. So I call that arrogant ignorance. Yeah, well, if you're like me, and I know I am, you want to develop <laughs> more discernment. And if you uh, are interested, don't go anywhere because uh, Dr. Greg Borgon is here talking about how to develop discernment. I, I'm 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 ready to hear more, Greg. Okay. Well, discernment, just for again clarification, is defined as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, an act of perceiving something, a power to see what is not evident to the average mind. The definition also stresses, for instance, the accuracy, as in the ability to see the truth. Spiritual discernment is the ability to tell the difference between truth and error. It's, it's, it's basic to really having wisdom. So the word discern or any of its variations is found 36 times in the Bible. It's found 26 in the Old Testament and 10 in the New Testament. And it refers to, the verb itself refers to knowledge which is superior to the mere gathering of data. It's necessary to know how to use knowledge one possesses, said one scholar. Its main English usage is understanding or insight. So, Followers of Christ are to be discerning in our observations and deliberations. So God's Word admonishes us to be wise and discerning. For instance, Bill, in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets had gone out into the world. So testing the spirits is really an act of discernment. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So already we're seeing some qualifications on what's meant by spiritual discernment. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. First King three nine. Uh, this is Solomon just before he took over as uh, the king uh, of Israel and has this conversation with God. He says, "So give in his prayer." He says, "So give your servant." This is Solomon speaking. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great power, uh, people of yours? First Corinthians two fourteen. But a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Or in the King, New King James Version or the NIV, it says they are spiritually discerned. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians five twenty-one and 22, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every evil, every form of evil. So why do so many Christians seem to lack discernment or spiritual insight today? Hmm. Okay, uh, that's a good question. I'm looking forward to the answer. <laughs> you know what? And I'm wondering if the Guide Talk guys are listening because we'll find out. Yeah, we will. I've got we'll a, test them, Bill. I've got a big <laughs> steaming hot pizza for you in the green room <laughs> for when you leave. We so. know that can't possibly be true. <laughs> so there are three levels of discernment. Many of us are living in the information level, which is simply the ordered understanding of raw data. We do not give enough time to reflection leading to comprehension. So the tyranny of the urgent, the frenzied activity of our daily lives, or the constant bombardment of data from TV, newspapers, magazines, the Internet, social media, email, radio, tapes, 
everything, mm -hmm. rob us of an ordered analysis of our world. We operate off of sound bites instead of measured and thoughtful examination. Yeah, that's so it's easy point. for us to go to the internet and just pull off data, put it in a sentence, and we sound erudite or very bright or very knowledgeable. What it's an inch deep. Yeah, we don't scuba dive anymore. We just <laughs> we're just on a jet ski. Yeah, what's well, it's a superficial yeah. grasp of information. Yep. The second level of discernment is the knowledge level. So many people are stuck there. They're satisfied with the acquiring and accumulating information ordered in such a way as to produce some sort of a grasp of the essentials, enough to converse intelligently on the subject, but little more. You press mm -hmm. them a little bit deeper, you ask a more detailed question, and you find out again, it's there's not much there. But there is some comprehension where people that are just stuck in raw data they just spit the facts out where people who have a knowledge understand how to connect those dots, but little else. So the trouble with remaining at this level is that our mental comprehension doesn't move onto applied wisdom. It mm -hmm. never reaches our hearts. Greg, I just want to say what you're talking about is not easy. No. Okay. No, no, it's we, not. We understand that, right? Yes. Okay. Not easy in the sense that we're called to be discerning, which is above a data grasp exactly. or a knowledge grasp. But we're living in a data grasp world. Yes, we sure are. And it's hard to get past And, and we're passing it off as knowledge. Um, which is a big mistake. <laughs> yes, it's a big mistake. Mm -hmm. So we need, we need to move to the wisdom level, whether uh, where spiritual discernment resides by prioritizing the acquisition and accumulation of knowledge into godly wisdom. This is accomplished by processing these, this gained knowledge through the filter of God's word, the Bible. So our ultimate goal should be to apply that wisdom to life in general and our lives specifically so that we're equipped for every good work. We've got to learn how to connect the dots. We've got to see the world as God sees the world. We've got to understand the world through his perspective. It's like wearing a set of glasses with a certain prescription. Everything else will be blurred until we get the lens that God gives us, which is the Word of God. So in summary, then, the information is ordered understanding of raw data. Knowledge is simply meaning derived through study and reflection and comprehension of that data, whereas wisdom is knowledge applied based on one's core beliefs and value systems. Another way to grasp that is by this illustration. The Ten Commandments, for instance, in Exodus 20, uh, in it, we are exposed to information, the existence of the commandments. Okay. That's at the data level. We develop a knowledge about them when through study and reflection we comprehend on their meaning. That is, the first four commandments have everything to do with our relationship to God, and the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with others. So now we're at the knowledge level. Mm -hmm. Knowledge becomes wisdom when we understand the commandments' implications to us individually, and we personally apply them to our lives as we process them through a belief system that's established our values. Now all of a sudden... You're at a wisdom level where discernment resides. Mm -hmm. In order for us to develop discernment, we first need to develop wisdom. And the Bible says all we need to do is ask God for it. Yeah, but the James idea is, is that we've got um, a responsibility to, to develop that alongside of what God is doing in us. See, there's a vast distance between having a knowledge about something and having a personal knowledge of something. I was just reading an article recently um, uh, on what's called uh, adaptive atheism. These are people who are so-called theologians that don't believe in God and believe that the existence of God was created in our minds over time. 
uh, as we interacted with our culture, and it's gotten more and more sophisticated. So they express, if you listen to these speakers, they sound very knowledgeable. They use a lot of terms that many of us would understand. But to me, they're displaying a knowledge about God, but they have no intimate knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. That's a great, great point, Greg. So as we, as we go on here, Solomon was given, as we just noted a few minutes ago, the opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted, his request, was motivated by desire to justly rule his people, so God gave him much more than he asked for. And you just need to read First Corinthians chapter three, verses three through fourteen. First Kings. First Kings. I'm sorry. Yeah. First, first Kings. Kings um, to see how that unfolds. But godly wisdom is available, as we just talked about, Bill, to every believer who asks for it in faith. If if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God, who the Scripture in James one five says, generously will give us generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. So. Mm-hmm. Getting down to the nitty-gritty of it, as followers of Christ, we are to be spiritually discerning, especially in this day and age when there's so many competing worldviews and philosophies on the stage. Spiritual discernment has to do with wisdom and the ability to distinguish truth from error. Hmm. So the question is this, how do we develop spiritual discernment? How do we interpret circumstances, events, and encounters How do we make sense of our observations? How do we connect the dots and draw, you know, accurate conclusions about uh, from what we hear, what we're reading, what we're seeing? How do we develop a godly perspective? That's the million-dollar question in this half hour. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. And Greg, we're going to head to break right now, but a question that came in, is discernment then learned or a gift from God? I think it's both. I was going to say. I mean, it's just like uh, the... God gives us each a spiritual gift, but it uh, requires us to go ahead and put that gift into practice, mm-hmm. to hone it, to shape it. But the gift is truly from God, yeah. but we still have a responsibility. Yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus, this topic is really important. And I know this is what you want more of because you're like me, you're like Ryan, you're like Greg. We all want more spiritual discernment. We want to be able to make sense of what we observe. How do we connect the dots? What we hear, what we read, what we see, how do we develop a Christ-centered, godly perspective? We do that through discernment. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Greg in just a minute. Giveaway. I don't know if if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where is God When You Need Him Most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or is feeling good the same as feeling God, is is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now, You can do it at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast and supporting Faith Radio. All right, you want to make sense of the world, as do I, so we're in this together. Let's make sense of the world in which we live and develop discernment. And that requires we have the mind of Christ. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest today. We're talking about 
Developing Discernment. Greg, let's uh, keep moving. Okay. Making sense of the world uh, in which we live, build, and develop discernment requires that we have what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, Mm -hmm. which is found in 1 Corinthians 2.16. According to biblical scholarship, having the mind of Christ means sharing the plan, the purpose, and the perspective of Christ— And it is something that all believers possess. So in order to have the mind of Christ, one must first have saving faith in Christ, according to John 1.12 and 1 John 5.12. Let's pause there just for a minute. Yep. You can't have it without first having your faith placed in Christ. In Jesus Christ. How can you develop the mind of Christ without... Can't do it outside of faith. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yep. After salvation, the believer lives a life under God's influence. The Holy Spirit indwells and enlightens the believer, infusing him or her with wisdom. So, the, uh, the, in other words, the mind of Christ. The believer bears a responsibility to yield to the Spirit's, uh, Spirit's leading, according to Ephesians 4.30, and to allow the Spirit to transform and renew our minds on an incremental basis over the whole uh, extent of our life, Romans 12.1 and 2. So, with the mind of Christ... We begin to see and, and I think understand the world from God's point of view. In other words, the mind of Christ is our plumb line to determine whether or not we are off base. It's, it's our dividing line. It's, it's our anchor. It's what gives us the ability, our standard, if you will, Bill, to understand what is truth and what's a lie. So the idea, again, is that with the mind of Christ, we begin to see and understand the world from God's point of view. We interpret the world through the lens of a biblical worldview as opposed to all other worldviews. So what do I mean by that? As simply put, a biblical worldview begins with acknowledging that God exists and is actively engaged with his world and the people in it. A biblical worldview embraces the fact that humans are created in the image of God and that sin has marred that image. A biblical worldview understands that God has provided a solution for the main dilemma facing mankind— that sin is the root cause of evil in the world. The solution is receiving Christ who paid for sin with his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel is the only lasting solution for the ever-darkening world. Our ultimate destiny is forever determined by a response to God's solution for what ails mankind. So when we have that kind of a lens of a biblical worldview all of a sudden, we have clear hooks to put information to help understand how it all fits together, mm-hmm. to understand the difference between truth and a lie. So, very important to, first of all, have the mind of Christ, which, as you pointed out, Bill, starts with a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, yeah. because you can't have it. Yeah. You cannot have spiritual discernment without Christ and the Spirit in your life. Yeah. And if a person is tuning into the show, if you are just tuning in for the very first time— First of all, welcome. Uh, secondly, uh, we're talking about discernment, which is going to be a very big, complicated word. Uh, they're not going to know what that means. Yeah. But you Just, are going to be able to have this understanding, this wisdom, uh, that you'll have the mind of Christ, but you first have to come to faith in Christ. And so the Bible says, believe in him and you will be saved. So yeah. that would be where you start. Yeah. And discernment, it, 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 here's, a, here's another way of understanding it. Debbie and I have been married for 54 years. I can look at her and just look at her her look or her posture 
and know with some assurity what she might be thinking or how she's feeling. And she can do the same with me. How was that possible? We spent a ton of time together. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to develop the mind of Christ, you've got to spend time with Christ. You just can't have a knowledge about Jesus. You have to have an experiential, relational knowledge of Jesus. And that'll develop over time. And then you'll start to see what's not so easily seen. You'll start to understand what's not so easily understood. And things will become clearer to you the deeper your relationship is with your Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the finished work of the, and, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us and, and teaches us. So the mind of Christ is critical. The second thing, Bill, discerning good from evil requires continual exposure to the truth, God's Word, the Bible, to effectively distinguish the truth from the lie, the good from evil. And how important is that, Greg? Because I've heard very persuasive speakers that if you didn't know what the truth was, you would you would buy what they're saying. Absolutely. Yep. All you are is a repository or a sponge that will soak up yep. um, corrupted and demonic philosophies and ideologies and believe their truth because of the way in which they're described or presented or articulated, however they're, they're passed on to you. Because if you don't have a standard to judge it with, then you're easily carried away by it. Mm -hmm. So the standard that we use, of course, is the Word of God. Uh, and so we need to ensconce in, in ourselves to, to drill down deep, to spend time in God's Word. So years ago, Treasury agents were trained to distinguish uh, legitimate currency from forged currency by only handling the real thing for many weeks. When forged currency was introduced along with the real currency... They were able to tell the forged bills immediately. Why? Because they knew what the real bills looked like, having been exposed only to the truth for a majority of their training. They were trained to distinguish the false from the true by repeated exposure to the truth. So that's what I mean. The enemy wants to remove the truth from you. He's going to distract you, keep you away from the truth, mm -hmm. because he wants you to be ignorant, even if it's ignorant on purpose or it's not on purpose. As long as you are away from the standard, you're easy to manipulate. So that's why we need to spend time in the Word. So Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 shows us how spiritual discernment is developed. The writer of Hebrews writes to those who had become dull in their understanding how, and, and how they had lacked spiritual discernment. Listen to this bill. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For through, uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Powerful passage. So what do we get from that? There's no substitute for hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God. Now, hearing and reading, which most Christians today seem satisfied with doing and only doing, uh, if you just hear and read the Word, uh, you'll be exposed to the milk of the Word. But study, memorization, and meditation on the Word gives you the solid food needed to sustain the believer and distinguish right from wrong, to develop spiritual discernment, and to avoid being carried away by every destructive ideology and philosophy. So spiritual discernment 
requires the mind of Christ and immersion in the Word of God. So, Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. Greg, so if you are hearing and reading the Word, that might only be considered milk of the Word? Yeah, because hearing and reading, first of all, if all you're doing is hearing and reading the Word, you're only going to retain 10 and, and, and on the outset, 15% of its message. Mm-hmm. When you study it, when you memorize it and meditate on it, it goes deeper into you. It's able to become part of your DNA. I'm not against people just you know, hearing and reading the Word of God. I, I'd hope that every one of us are doing that. Yeah. But let's build on that. Let's go the next step to studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Word to really become discerning. Mm-hmm. And that's where you find you are then consuming the solid food of the yes. Word. And it is so much more transformational. It'll also turn you into a mature Christian that will give you the powers of discernment because you'll have the practice of spending time with the truth and knowing God's word. So when a lie comes along or a false teacher, you're going to be able to stop it in, in its tracks. You got it, Bill. You got wow. it. Wow. All right. All right. I think you can go enjoy your pizza now. I wonder if the other guys are listening because I really don't have a pizza Eat your heart you. out, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> All right, Greg. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Thursday for God Talk. Thanks yep. for uh, this uh, talk on discernment today. I know we all could use uh, a refresher course on discernment, and it sounds like uh, spend more time in God's Word. Yes. Get out a pencil and a notebook when you study His Word. Take notes, write things down, write questions down when you come across a verse you don't understand, and then study, dig, um, ask other people. Uh, do your homework because that's what God calls us to do. And don't students. forget to turn into Guy Talk for some answers. That is so true, <laughs> which is uh, Thursdays <laughs> from 4 to 6 Central Time. Uh, Guy Talk is always a lot of fun. I look forward to that as well. All right, we're going to we're gonna say goodbye to Greg for now and take a break. And when we come back, uh, I've got Dr. Glenn Pickering in my green room right now. And uh, we're going to talk about when you when your relationships are struggling, some things you don't want to do. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.